Wow. So we are doing this podcast 6 p.m. on Friday, so just a couple hours after the Jazz blew the Denver Nuggets Nuggets out of the water for the second game in a row. Um, After Monday, I think that Jazz Jazz fans were excited but a little hesitant. But I mean, after these last couple games, it's hard for me to imagine the Jazz not pulling this series and moving on to the second round to face the winner of the, of the Clippers or Mavs. Yeah, I, I remember after game one, um, when they went into overtime, I texted you and said, hey, this like might actually be a series. And then the Jazz just fell apart in overtime in game one. But these past two games, um, like you, you couldn't even tell that the Jazz were missing one of their best scorers in the postseason. Like, and... Like, obviously, Mitchell has been a huge part, but Gobert is scoring much better in the post. Mike Conley's shot is back. Um, Jordan Clarkson, he's been doing his thing. His shooting hasn't been as bad as it was, like, the first couple of games back in, like, in in the bubble, the regular season games in the bubble. Uh, So, offensively, this Jazz team is incredible, like, one of like one of the best offensive jazz teams we've seen in the past like 10 15 years but it's it's interesting to uh like i'm not sure how i feel about their defense whether it's the defense is really good or uh the nuggets just i don't know like how to feel about it but i guess the rest of this series will tell us yeah i definitely think the nuggets are just struggling overall but a lot of it has had to do with the hustle that the Jazz have had. I mean, and to be fair, in this last game, game three, the ball did just definitely bounce the Jazz's way a lot of the time. But when you have Mike Conley go seven of eight from three, when he hasn't practiced or played a game in like a week, I mean, that's just impressive. And before we get too far down the road, I we also just need to give a shout out to Jawan Morgan. I mean, when you Google him and it's still his college jersey on the roster, but he's come out and he hasn't been like a game changer, but he's been a game changer in the sense that he's not the reason, a reason that the Jazz aren't doing well. And to do that as a rookie who saw minimal playing time during the regular season, just props to how professional he's being. Yeah, his if you look at the box score, he doesn't really show up much, but he did play 22 minutes this game, and I'm sure part of that was it was a blowout, so Quinn Snyder could pretty much play whoever he wanted for the last quarter and a half. But he he's giving like valuable minutes to the team and he's adding to the energy. So, it's that's cool to see from someone that is a name that most fans don't know. It's just been really awesome to see players fill their roles so well, especially Donovan Mitchell. When they needed 57 from him in the first game, I mean, he gave them 51 in regulation, and the Jazz's defense did break down there in the fourth quarter, which led to the overtime and then led to Jamal Murray just going off, which happens. I mean, in the end, while overtime games are really hard, you were still in it no matter what happens at the end of the five minutes. And so to see Donovan go off in the first game, come back in the second game and have, I believe eight assists, just give it to Clarkson and give it to his other teammates. 
during the double teams. And then all of a sudden when they start putting only one guy on him, have him go off for 20 plus in the third. And to see Mitchell, you let go bear and calmly go to work this game just really shows how much he's matured and and how much better of a spot the Jazz are not having to rely on Mitchell to be the scorer in every game. Yeah, I'm like, I may have not talked about this too much in the podcast, uh, but um, towards the beginning of the bubble, I was so, I was sort of in the camp that the Jazz need to eventually trade Gobert down the line. But as I've seen Gobert, like obviously everyone knows how good of a defensive player Gobert is. Like no one can question that. But he's kind of on and off on offense. But I feel like obviously he's not the most consistent offensive player in the bubble or really at any point, but he's been showing more consistency and the plays where he's making on offense are like huge plays for the Jazz. Uh, in the first half, Jokic didn't know how to guard Gobert. Like because I think I feel like Jokic is used to guarding more perimeter players because that's kind of the direction the league is headed. And so then he when when someone's backing him down, he's not as great of a defender. And then when the Jazz are able to just penetrate, get down to Jokic, Jokic has to step up to take the ball handler, and then you have Gobert who's an easy target to lob to. Like that's he's turning into a really awesome piece for the Jazz offense, even though he can't shoot. And one stat that I'm trying to pull up right now, um, I haven't found as specific as one that I want, is he has so many screen assists. He's one of the leaders with the screen assists, which is obviously not a box score stat, and it can kind of go either way. But to be able to do what he did in game two and have 23, 24 points off of screen assists is, I mean, almost as big, if not bigger, than seeing your point guard dish out eight to nine assists. Being able to be that player who just the sheer presence on the offensive end also give you, gives you points just like it takes away points on the defensive end for the other team really does make you just like a really just niche, well, not niche, but just very important player in the set. And like you said, this is against Jokic. This is against like one of the top four, five centers in the NBA. He's not going out and doing this against a team like the Timber, like the Timberwolves, a team that doesn't have that like solid center along with the rest of the lineup to back it up. So I'm super thrilled to see where Gobert is going, and I hope he can continue this down the line. And like Jokic. No one really says he's a lockdown defender. Uh, Jokic, he really isn't a lockdown big. He is better than average, obviously, because he is one of the best bigs in the game. But if you look at what, like, we all know Gobert's defensive ability, but look at what he's doing to Jokic in this game. He held Jokic to 15 points and five boards. And uh, I'll have to check how many rebounds Gobert had. He had 14. And so that's a huge matchup right there is the rebounds. Because uh, everyone go everyone goes and talks like number of possessions is a huge decider of who wins a game, and if your center is pulling down nine more rebounds than the other team's center, then that's like nine extra possessions for you. So he is a crucial part to the Jazz, and if he keeps up this level of play, um, the Jazz definitely have a shot of winning this in less than seven games, even. Yeah, I. 
I would switch my pick now to Jazz in six. If they're going to lose, they're going to lose in seven. But I think they'll be able to pull it off in six. They have the momentum. And as long as they stay focused, I don't see why they couldn't do that. Uh, But the Nuggets are a talented team, so we can't write them off yet. Uh, But the way the Jazz are looking, uh, I don't know if the Nuggets are able to overcome this. Uh, But uh, And the post-game, I like what Conley said. Uh, He was talking about how like like they're asking him about how like this momentum shift this huge blowout what it means in the series and Conley said that in the playoffs it doesn't matter how much you win by it's it's you gotta win and so whether the Jazz won this game by 50 or whether they won it by one at the end of the day it's still a win and the Nuggets still have a chance to win three more games and win the series so it may feel like all the momentum's on the Jazz side but if the Nuggets pull out next game even just by a point the momentum changes completely. So it, it is something where the team needs to celebrate this moment right now, but they need to get back and stay focused here in about five minutes. Well, let's put it this way. In the bubble, I could see Denver coming back in game four and winning it. But man, if that game was in Salt Lake City, no hope for Denver. They, that would just be an amazing game to see. And the Jazz definitely are one of the teams that you could have argued being in Orlando was the worst for based on the fact that they have one of the best home court advantages in the NBA. And to be honest, if the first game had been played in Denver, I don't know if the Jazz would have came back once they, when they were down 14, 16 points to take the lead. But that lack of home court advantage, I do think does really impact this which is why it's been so impressive for the Jazz to hold out and to dominate the last two games because they don't have a crowd that's keeping them going. So being able to play like that and not have the not have the lack of a crowd be detrimental to you is definitely something that has really seemed to benefit the Jazz in the last couple of games. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. It, it really benefits all of the lower seeds. Um if you look at the West, um, like except for the except for OKC, which everyone was predicting would be uh, the closest matchup out west. All the all the lower seeds are really giving the upper seeds a run for their money. Now, like the Trailblazers are a little hurt, so that might stop. But the Jazz and the Mavericks have really been like scaring the Nuggets and the Clippers. Um, and obviously, like. N- None of these series have been through four games yet, so it is early on. Sometimes, like, the first seed loses the first game, but then they win the next four. So we'll have to see how it plays out. But I kind of like watching this home court advantage because it gives a higher chance for a good Cinderella story. Especially when there's not a single team in the West Coast Conference. So in the Western Conference, I always mix that up from a BYU background. Um, In the Western Conference... That isn't a four seed in like 50% of every other year the NBA has played. Like top four minimum. I mean, you do have Portland who definitely did get to the eighth seed, but that was only because Nurkic was out for a lot of the season. And when you look at like the Mavs, who the only thing that's been hurting them is them being young. Then Utah and the Jazz have kind of, um, Utah and the Jazz, Utah and OKC have been struggling a tiny bit this season. But then you look at, they're just all top four caliber teams. 
So that's what's so cool about not having home horn advantage play in and play into this is that you get to see these amazing teams just go at it. Yeah, and it the bubble has really like it's been better than I think most anyone thought it was. I, I remember our podcast episodes before um the bubble actually started where we were talking about like oh the players they're not going to be in shape. They probably haven't shot a basketball in a long time. We're going to see a lot of like 35% field goal percentage games at first. But it wasn't that way. It was it was exciting from the beginning. And this is some of the best basketball we've had all year. So uh, kudos to the players and the coaches and everyone for putting like really playing great basketball this whole time. There was one thing that I wanted to touch on real quick. I know we're in the middle of the playoffs and that's kind of the headlines of everything. But I feel like this kind of slept under the radar for a while because of the playoffs. But the NBA draft lottery did happen. And it is a little pertinent because we have been talking about how deep the West is. And you just mentioned it uh, a minute ago. And even if you look at the bottom of the standings, there's teams there. Like, you can probably expect them to be in the playoffs next year. And two of those teams that we were talking about were the Golden State Warriors and the Minnesota Timberwolves. And they got the first and second pick. So they might be a little bit stronger than we anticipated them to be especially if they use that pick for a trade for like a win now move from pick seven down i was just saying please be golden state please be golden state please be golden state and when it got down to the final two i was just dreading it and i mean even then golden state getting the second pick even if they don't use it and just trade it for assets like that is going to be so clutch for Golden State to have. Um, especially for a team that's still super strong. And the only reason they were out was because Steph Curry was hurt and Clay Thompson was hurt. And now both of those teams, both of those players have had extended off seasons to come back and get back into shape for whenever the season starts, whether it be December or January. Yeah, it's it's going to be scary. They still have a great defender in Draymond Green, even though he hasn't had a great season this year. He he will be able to add to a team when you have two shooters like Steph and Clay, and then you have two basically all star starter caliber players coming back to the team. Andrew Wiggins, he's uh, everyone talks about him as a bust, but he still had several seasons where he's averaged twenty plus points. So he will be able to contribute quite a bit and then whoever they pick or if they use that for a trade to get another superstar on the team. Um, maybe the dynasty is not over. I mean, it'll just be crazy to see. The thing is, it's really nice that there's not a lockup number one and number two pick this year in large part because if Golden State had someone that you like knew they should pick, it would be a lot less likely for them to trade. But because there's so much variety, there's a lot higher chance that Golden State could mess up with that number two pick. Yeah, and yeah, and the draft isn't an exact science. So, um, well, as much Zion as I want to see like play, players science. like, yeah, well, well, even still, like you've had big name players in the past come in, and everyone thought they were going to be the next big thing, but then injuries just derail their career, like uh, Greg Oden. Greg Oden would have been a superstar player, but he he never got the chance to 
fulfill that potential. So looking at the draft a bit more in depth, um, kind of moving away from, you know, the picks that never made it, like Ennis Cantor or <laughs> Dante Exum. Um, I guess I can't say that Ennis Cantor has never made it. Ennis Cantor has done a lot of good things where he's went. I just, it would have been nice had he fit better with the Jazz and just performed better here in Utah. But So the Jazz ended up with the 23rd pick. So here's my question. Since they were tied at the end of the season, to my understanding, with Houston and with Denver. And the way that it happened was they did some coin flipper thing to decide who got the pick. So the Jazz, who if you had went based off of tiebreakers, would have had the 21st pick, now fall to the 23rd. Do you think that tiebreakers should be taken into account for the draft order, or do you don't think it should just be straight record? Um, like, well, the main reason we have tiebreakers is teams would get very upset if whether they made the playoffs or not was decided on a coin flip. Uh, so, like, I can understand why they don't do that for the draft because the draft is like they have the lottery anyway, so there is a portion of chance. And so, when it's outside the lottery, I can see them just keeping the chance thing going on. Um, I don't, I don't really care one way or the other. Like, obviously, it it hurt the Jazz this time. It might help the Jazz in the future. So, um, like it. Either way, it's like almost a 50-50 thing because tiebreakers are kind of uh, close there. So obviously, if it was this season, we would have hoped that they did count them so Jazz could have had two picks sooner, but I, I, I don't think it matters that much. I mean, maybe we'll pick up another Rodney Hood down in the 20s. If we got someone of his potential and caliber down that far, that would definitely... Um, help the Jazz. There might be some better picks to take, and you might want to look more down in the post area, but that's another show. We're not quite to the draft yet. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Jazz traded it away Um, because, I, like, I've been reading that there's a lot of, like, good, solid guards that are more project players than are able to make a difference on a uh, win-now team. So a lot of player, a lot of teams in like the like thirteen to like twenty five range are light are looking who are in win now mode are looking to trade some of those picks off for a player who can make a difference. So we'll uh, we'll see what the Jazz do, but right now let's focus on the Nuggets. Yeah, if I were to hope for anything, I would hope the Jazz would actually try to shop this pick down the road. Um, get another pick that hopefully will be higher up since they definitely are one of the teams that's more depleted when it comes to draft picks in the next few years to the point where if they don't get a championship now, they're going to be looking at seasons where they're either on the edge or out of the playoffs. But we'll try not to be that pessimistic right at the moment. It's always good to plan ahead. Um, Yeah, it, it never hurts to get a pick down the line, especially when you're a team as good as the Jazz and the 23rd overall pick isn't going to get minutes for you. So, speaking of just, you know, the overall NBA, kind of along with the draft, so do you think that the Magic winning game one and the Trailblazers winning game one 
were just flukes. Um, I think the magic was. Oh well, I guess it it, it doesn't. It wasn't really a fluke, because um the magic they played it well. They, they were they did have some injured players, which kind of forced them to play more shooting, which um I guess the Bucks weren't prepared for, and that got them. But I can't see the magic pulling another game out of the series. Um, and I, I think the general consistent consensus on the Trailblazers was they are more talented than an average eight eight seed. Um, especially since one of their starters was injured all season, so I think everyone expected the Trailblazers to pull one or two games out. Um, I, I don't know if I'd call it a fluke for the Trailblazers, but I I might for the Magic. Because it was kind of like the injuries forced them to play a different lineup, which happened to work in their favor for that one game. But the Bucks have figured it out since then. Yeah, I think the Bucks are going to come back and win it in five. The Trailblazers might pull one more out, but after Dame sprained his finger, um, and after they had another player go out to injury, I just think that they hit a wall yesterday. And after you've played your heart out the last eight game, the last nine games to get into the playoffs, I think they're just not going to have the energy to push it the rest of the way. Yeah, and you really need to play like your A plus plus game when it's both Anthony Davis and LeBron James on the floor. Uh, I know everyone's talking about how some of the better role players on that team are out, like Avery Bradley and Rondo, uh, but. In the NBA, when it comes to playoffs, star power wins you playoff games and playoff series. And you have two of the best players in the NBA right now with LeBron and AD. So the Trailblazers will really have to like be shooting like 55-60% from the field and to make up for their lack of defense and their injuries. So it, it's still possible, but it's it's really an uphill battle for them now, especially since they lost a little bit of momentum. For sure. And then I think the Raptors are a lock over the Nets. They went up 3-0 today. The Nets have made it a game, like, close, I think, in the second one. But other than that, just Raptors are on it. They're going to make it to the second round, not surprising anyone. Um, Boston up 2-0 in the series. They're only up four points right now in the third quarter when we're recording this. But even if they lose this game, well, the 76ers could be capable of coming back. I think that Boston is still going to pull that one out. Just 2-0 is really hard to come back from. Yeah, and in the game right now, it's really Joel Embiid. In the first like half, the Joel Embiid was doing amazing, and the rest of the 76ers shot like, like something like 25%. So he, he's the reason they're close, and he won't be able to do that for four games. Yeah, and then the other teams up 2-0, Pacers over the Heat and Rockets over the Thunder. Again, it's possible, sorry, Heat over the Pacers. Um, I think the Heat and Rockets will pull it out. Um, Pacers and Thunder might grab a game or two, but they're just pl- they're just obviously the better teams right now in those series. Yeah, and that's what you were to expect. Like, I think everyone thought uh, like expected a bigger fight out of the Thunder, and I've been 
I've been a fan of them throughout the season with their like, um, like no one expected much of them, and then they became one of the better teams in the West. But with the way the Rockets were playing, I didn't really expect the Thunder to push it too far. Uh, I, I guess the big question there was Westbrook, but maybe maybe James Harden doesn't need anyone. He's just going to carry the whole team by himself. <laughs> I mean, he's rested enough to do it. I. I do think it's really interesting that the two series that seem the most like a lock, disregarding the Toronto series, are the 4-5 matchups. That it's really, there's been a lot of excitement when it's come to all of the other matchups so far. Yeah, it's it's been a good playoff so far. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited uh, to see what happens. Like, in the East, it's not as exciting. Um, you might see a bunch of sweeps, uh, so, but the second round will definitely be very interesting in the East when you have several championship caliber teams facing off against each other. Uh, the West has been exciting from like game one in every series. Now, there's only one gate, one series we haven't talked about yet, and I'm sure that that one's your favorite. Uh, Portland-Memphis? Nope. Clippers Mavericks. Yeah, that that's an interesting one. Uh, Cuz I don't remember exactly what I predicted in the podcast when we kind of gave our predictions. I think I predicted Clippers in 5. Uh because m- my main worry was the Mavericks defense um them not being able to stop Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Uh but it hasn't really proven to be a problem. I I kind of did a little bit of a deeper dive into it the past couple of days to see what's going on. And obviously we don't have a ton of material to like two games isn't a lot, but it's really interesting how Porzingis is able to really open up the floor for the Mavs, whether he needs to be down low or on the perimeter. And it really messes up the Clippers defense, especially since Pat Bev- Pat- Patrick Beverly is out right now. So if, if he stays injured, that might be a game changer for the Mavs and, that might put them back in it, especially since both games were really close. And the Mavericks, like, if Porzingis wasn't ejected, they might have won the first one. And they might have been two, up 2-0 right now. So that's an interesting one to watch. Crossing my fingers for a Jazz-Dallas, for a Jazz-Mavs round two matchup since I, I do want Dallas to succeed and beat the Clippers. I also think it'll be a bit more easy. It'll be a bit more possible that the Jazz win that, but I'm super excited. Obviously, some things are going to shake up by the time you you're listening to this and but I th- mean I don't think people could really be asking for a lot more from the playoffs right now, especially after the long hiatus. Yeah, it's been amazing. I'm excited to see how it plays out. Um for all you listening out there, um yeah, let us know who your favorite teams are, what your favorite playoff matches are right now um we'll come back next friday or saturday with an episode we come out with a weekly episode and we'll see what happens then we might have some teams moving on to the second round by that episode so stay tuned go jazz